Park Hopping Podcast, number 76, How I Planned My Winter Vacation. Lots of important things to say. This is not art. Coming up next in our show. This is not media. First, the news. This is not news. Now, welcome back to the show. This is another crappy podcast production. Celebrating over 12 years of posting Disney stuff on the internet. This is another crappy podcast production. Hi there, this is Alan from DisneyFans.com, and this is the Park Hopping Podcast, show number 76, the podcast that proves anyone can have their own podcast. Welcome back to the Park Hopping Podcast, which just happens to be recorded live in the crappy podcast studios here in Des Moines, Iowa, USA, where Olympic fever is still in full swing. Previously on the Park Hopping Podcast, we took an audio tour of a theme park and I asked the question, which park? Those of you who know what Disney parks sound like should have immediately recognized that this wasn't a Disney park. So apologies to those I may have fooled by being intentionally misleading with all that talk of Disney right before sharing audio that had nothing to do with Disney. The park in question was Adventureland Park in Altoona, Iowa, which is just outside of Des Moines, where in several ways they prove that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. The video that goes along with that audio should be available in this podcast feed, so check it out and see if it matches what you were thinking when you heard it. Now, I'm guessing, unless you're from Iowa, probably not. Today on the Park Hopping Podcast, I'm going to share some tips on booking a Disneyland vacation. Last year, or sometime, in Park Hopping Podcast show number something... I talked a bit about how I typically book my Disney vacations. Now, my goal is usually to spend as much time as I can in the parks, enjoying all those wonderful rides, shows, and attractions, while spending close to the least amount of money that it takes to do that. For instance, I'm very glad to trade an extra day in the parks for a slightly cheaper hotel, just as an example. Now, I wouldn't say I'm a dirt-cheap tourist. I can easily see ways I could eliminate hundreds of more dollars from my trips by staying in even cheaper hotels and eating even cheaper food, but I think I found a real good compromise between price versus payoff, at least to me. So today, I wanted to do a quick update and comment on the current state of travel. I do a podcast for the Toyota Prius hybrid car, and in each monthly episode, I usually talk a bit about the rising gas prices. Now, going back nearly two years, it's pretty amazing to re-listen to the older episodes and hear how stunned we seem to be when gas was just breaking $2. Well, these fuel cost increases have also affected the airline industry, and I've been hearing numerous reports saying that this holiday season could be some of the most expensive travel ever. While some of my brethren podcasters have even commented on this subject recently. The Diz Unplugged had a whole episode that discussed ways to still try to find cheaper airline tickets, mostly by using several ticket comparison sites I'd never even heard of. An episode of WDW Today touched on this topic briefly as well, commenting on increased baggage fees and ways you might be able to get around them. And certainly various travel newsletters I receive from sites such as Travelocity have also tried to keep me informed of the various changes the airline industry is going through. But how bad is it? I mean, really, would I see anything different if I was booking a Christmas trip to Disneyland this year than I saw when I did the same thing last year? I thought I'd share a bit about what I found out. 
First, I normally wouldn't even think about booking travel this far in advance. I was putting this episode together in August, and my trip won't be until mid to late December. And for me, three months away might as well be three years. In the past, I've never had a problem finding a decent flight out within a month and a half from when I was planning to go. But due to hearing so much concern over increasing flight costs, I thought maybe I should book something now. So my first stop was to try some of these flight comparison services like faircompare.com and kayak.com. I'd also been looking through travelocity.com like I normally do just to see how they stack up against some of the newer sites. And what I found was, at least right now, I could still find $200 tickets out of Des Moines, and that's great. The Des Moines airport is typically hundreds of dollars more to fly out of than traveling just two hours away to Omaha, Nebraska, or three hours away to Kansas City. So anytime I can find a flight at $250 or less, I'm pretty happy with that price. And no, we don't have JetBlue or Southwest or any of those special discount carriers here, so if you're used to even cheaper tickets from your airport, hey, consider yourself fortunate. Flight time is also a big concern with me. I like to get into California as early as possible, which usually uh, means I can get to the Disneyland Resort around lunchtime. So flights that backtrack, leaving Des Moines, then flying an hour or two east before flying back west to California, they're not the ones I prefer. These airline sites make this pretty easy to determine since they usually show the total duration of the trip. Now for me, anything around six hours or less is pretty good, and that usually means flying on U.S. Airways, or America West, whatever they're called these days, and they fly through Phoenix, Arizona, or perhaps Northwest, which flies through Minneapolis. And it really pays to pay attention to this stuff. I've had airline sites try to offer me 12-hour flights before, when for the same money, or maybe even a little less money, I could find one that takes half as long. Okay, so my first choice on U.S. Airways was going to cost $450. So I moved on to Northwest and found a $215 flight. Now, that's before the fees were added, all the taxes. After all those fees, it was about $250. I only spent a few minutes looking this flight over before I decided to go ahead and buy it. But when I tried, I was informed that the rate was no longer available, and the new price would be over $400. And this was, like, after midnight on a weeknight. I suddenly became very concerned that these impending flight increases were actually already kicking in. Fortunately, I was able to go back and find a similar flight for a bit less, and one that actually got into California a bit earlier. The only downside was it would have to leave earlier and have nearly a three-hour layover in Minnesota. Well, it wasn't perfect, but for $199, I'd be willing to spend some time enjoying breakfast at the airport TGI Fridays or whatever, and maybe go see a plaque by a famous bathroom stall I've heard so much about. But I digress. The airline ticket was booked after probably less than 15 minutes of checking things over. I'd already looked at some of the other comparison sites, many of which were only showing flights over $400. I'm not sure why these sites don't work well for the Des Moines International Airport, but I suspect it might just be in spite against an airport which claims to be international but doesn't actually have any direct international flights. But I digress again. Once the tickets were booked, next was car rental. The combo deals offered by Travelocity weren't great, with a weekly rental costing $189 plus fees, which brought the total around $250 for the car. So I was able to hop over to Hotwire.com and find rates around $17 per day, which saved over $50 for the trip, which would now cover a meal at the Blue Bayou, or maybe a Christmas at Disneyland Tour or something like that. 
Now, I should mention that before I booked the cheapest car rental, I did make sure that the one hot wire was going to offer me was actually in the airport. I've rented from Orange County and LAX in the past and used off-site car rental companies, which can add quite a bit of time to picking up and returning a car. This is very important. In the Orange County John Wayne Airport, I usually head to the car rental counter as soon as I get off the plane. Then, by the time I'm done with that, my luggage is circling at baggage claim just down the way. I can pick it up and then head right outside and across the street down to the rental car pickup lot, and I'm on my way in a few minutes. But if the car rental place is off-site, you have to go to the shuttle area and wait for a ride to the off-site rental lot. If you're lucky, the shuttle van is waiting or it r arrives in just a few minutes, but sometimes there can be quite a wait, especially with a cheaper rental company that may only have one shuttle van driving back and forth all day. Then there's the time it takes to ride out to the rental place. I consider this half an hour or maybe even more that I could be spending at the park on my vacation. And then on the return, I find it easier to follow the big clearly marked signs back to the airport car return area than to try to find the off-site rental place on the little paper map that hopefully you remember to take when you picked up your car keys. Let's just say that to me, this hassle isn't worth saving a few bucks a day. Um, like I said, I'm not a dirt cheap tourist. So, while Hotwire will not tell you the specific car rental company you'll be getting until after you've paid for the rental, it will show you which ones it has to be picked from, and it'll confirm that it'll have pickup and drop-off at the airport, so that's good. A few moments later, I had a car with, I think, maybe Hertz, something like that. In the past, this is the same approach I've used for renting at the Orlando International Airport in Florida, which happens to apparently be a real international airport. But I should mention that my car rental plans will be a bit different the next time I make a trip to Walt Disney World. Uh, you may have heard that on my last trip there in October 2007, I ended up in a nice PT Cruiser. Well, nice except for the fact that it had a slow leak in one of the tires. After having to air the car up on the first day I had it, thank goodness for that service station on Disney property you pass by driving in, I had to call the rental company and find out how I could get this fixed. I was expecting to have to drive the car back to the airport or hopefully some closer off-site rental location and swap it out for another vehicle. It turns out, however, Hotwire had chosen Alamo for the rental, and they were the official rental company of Walt Disney World and had a car rental center right on property. I was able to quickly swap out my car in the morning right there on Disney World property. Because of this, I think all of my future rentals at Disney World will be done using Alamo or at least somebody else that's got rental facilities there. Booking Direct will probably cost a bit more than using the uh, rental roulette with Hotwire, but there's always discount codes available to help out some. So even though I think it's unlikely I'll ever have another problem like this, I think the peace of mind is now worth it. Something as simple as a slow leak in a tire could have botched up a good portion of one of my vacation days had I needed to get the car off-site. Now, this doesn't really apply to a Disneyland Resort vacation because they're not sitting on 43 square miles of property far away from the nearest rental office. So for Disneyland, I'll continue to use Hotwire and save money. Though I, I guess if I was really concerned, I'd check out a map for the area and see what rental companies have offices close to the Disneyland Resort. Heck, other than the ride to and from the airport, a rental car really isn't even necessary for a Disneyland trip if you just plan to visit, you know, the Magic Kingdom there. There are tons of hotels all around the park, and the walk from any of them to an entrance of the, or a tram loading area for that matter, 
It's probably not even as far as, as walking from Mexico to Canada at Epcot, and most hotels have some kind of shuttle service. Still, I, I always get a rental car since I like being on my own schedule, knowing I don't have to wait for a shuttle or a taxi to pick me up, and if I want to head out to eat at night or go stop by the shopping district at Knott's Berry Farms for a chicken dinner, or even drive up to Six Flags Magic Mountain or Universal Studios or Hollywood or wherever, I have a car that can do that. Though, usually I do so little driving during a Disneyland visit, I barely budge the fuel needle on the car. But I digress, that's, that's just how I do it. Your mileage may, of course, vary. Oh, and speaking of mileage, in the past I've opted for buying a tank of gas up front so I don't have to deal with finding a gas station or waiting to fill up the car when returning it. With gas prices as high as they are right now, though, maybe I won't do that this trip. I expect, even if I don't stop at a gas station, just paying for the gas I used uh, will be much cheaper than buying a whole tank up front. So remind me later to tell you if I was right about that. So there we go, a $199 plus fee airline ticket, which was about $263, and that includes $16 worth of travel protection that I added since this trip was so far in the future and who knows what could happen, and a $169 car rental, which also included $13 in travel protection. All of this was done within half an hour of web surfing and probably could have been done in about 10 minutes if I wasn't so picky about flight times. Now, speaking of flight times, it seems these sites almost always suggest a flight out that arrives late in the evening, and this is fine for those who don't plan to do anything on their first day of vacation. But for me, it just means I have to spend more money on an extra night of hotel, meals, and a car rental. Those fees would easily allow me to upgrade my six-day theme park pass to a year-long annual pass, for example, or swap out a few counter-service meals for a fancier sit-down meal. You get the idea. I encourage folks to take this into consideration. And the th same thing applies to using a cheaper airport a few hours away. If you want to get up at 3 a.m. and drive in to make an early flight, that's fine. But if you don't want to do that, and you drive to catch a later flight instead, you might be adding some extra travel fees between gas and hotel and stuff that negates all, much, or some of the savings you think you're getting. It's kind of a, a big picture kind of deal. Also, I avoid using Hotwire for booking airline tickets for the same reason. I've used them in the past for work travel when I was spending about every other week in San Jose, California, and often they'd fly me out late at night and return me early in the morning, meaning my employer basically lost two days of my time and spent more money doing so. But hey, at least the tickets were cheap. But this is really only a cost saver when you're up against really high last-minute ticket prices, like when Hotwire can offer a $300 ticket when the local airport wants over $800 for it. But even I plan my vacations a bit more in advance than that. So my next steps are going to be lining up theme park tickets and hotel reservations. The hotel I stay at won't even be accepting reservations for December until mid September. So, yeah, I guess that has to wait. As for theme park tickets, I'll probably be buying them online since multi-day tickets are often on sale at the Disneyland website. And if you have them advance, uh, you just get to skip the potentially long lines at the ticket booths. Since my current annual pass will still be good in December, this really isn't a concern for this trip, but I still like checking prices. I will say that just a few weeks ago when I was planning the trip to be at the start of October, Actually, I guess it's longer than a few weeks ago now since I was originally doing this in October. Anyway, last month, I ran into a different snag. At that time, Disneyland had yet to post their park hours for October. This meant if I chose a week that was considered a slow time for Disneyland, the park hours might be much shorter than, say, just a week later. 
by booking without looking. That's a new park hopping podcast term to describe how most of my friends plan their vacations. So by booking without looking, I could have chosen a week that gave me 12 hours less time in the park. For December, I see that many weekdays in the park are closing as early as 8 p.m., so I always make sure to at least include a weekend where they stay open until midnight. So at the start of this episode, I asked, but how bad is it really? Would I see anything different if I was booking a Christmas trip to Disneyland this year than I saw when I did the same thing last year? Fortunately, I am an email pack rat, and I can answer that question by saying, yes, it is more expensive, but not much. Last year, my hot wire car rental was on budget, and it cost $12.95 a day, plus taxes and fees. This year, let's see, uh, this year, um, the best hot wire could do was a Hertz car for $17.95 a day, so that cost me about $30 more for six days. Last year, my Travelocity flight on Northwest Airlines cost $147.80 plus taxes for a total of $207.10. That's $40 more than the $247 or the $247 ticket price that I had to pay this year, not counting the extra $16 I chose to add for flight insurance. So overall, my trip this year had almost the same week as costing me $70 more than at this time last year. Now, I'm not going at exactly the same time, but if I was a bit more flexible with my bookings, perhaps I could have gotten a price even lower by moving my dates forward or backwards a few days or a week. But I think what I found this year was close enough to still meet my budget. What I don't know yet is how much the hotel is going to cost and how much food prices have gone up. Ticket prices are higher every year, so I never expect a visit to not cost me more from year to year. The issue is always how much more. So I'll try to revisit this topic in a later episode, or perhaps after my trip in late December, and we'll just see how it turned out. And speaking of the trip itself, since it will be just under a year since my last visit, how much new stuff should I expect? What's been going on out there? Here's a quick rundown of the items that will be new to me this trip. So number one, Sleeping Beauty Castle is set to reopen in an all-new form after being closed since 2001, so that's been a while. Number two, the new monorails are slowing, slowly being put into full-time operation. Hopefully I can actually ride in one. Number three, Innoventions has the new House of the Future featuring today's technology thing exhibit. Number four, the Riverbell Terrace was still being renovated during my last visit, so this will be my first time to check out the new menu. Number five, the Toy Story Midway Mania at Disney's California Adventure will be a new attraction to me. Number six, Munsters Incorporated has been open a while there, but it was closed for rehab during my last visit, so I'm going to count that as a new one to me too. Number seven, It's a Small World will be back, uh, won't it? Isn't that open by December? I think so. And number eight, uh, plus I'm... Well, basically, sure, there's other changes to a few restaurants and other things I'll find interesting, even if I don't find them interesting enough to list them here. So there you go, my first installment of how I planned my winter vacation, travel, and transportation. Later this month, I'll probably provide an update on tickets and lodging because I need exciting topics like this to live up to another crappy podcast standards. And speaking of visits, the next time you're there, be sure to take an extra picture, shoot some extra video, because you really never know when something you like, love, or hate is going to go away and never be around again. And on that note, I think that'll do it for me this time, so be sure to visit DisneyFans.com, where you can browse around 53,000 digital pictures I've taken at Disneyland, Disney World, and other theme parks across the country, including that Adventureland Park here in Iowa, as well as dozens of downloadable video 
profiles from the Disney parks. And if you want to drop me a note, my email address is podcast at disneyfans.com. This has been the Park Hopping Podcast, show number 76, How I Planned My Winter Vacation. Thanks for listening. Another Crappy Podcast production. Be sure to visit anothercrappypodcast.com to learn more about this and other equally exciting (sighs) podcasts. Advertise your product or service on this podcast network. You'll receive one exclusive pre-roll placement so the audience doesn't get sick of hearing your message and multiple in-show mentions and post-roll ads. This unique placement reduces listeners from fast-forwarding through your message. Visit anothercrappypodcast.com for details.